Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Back to the Jiggy Jaguar Show on the network. Let's just call our guest. We are going to call our guest on the old Skype Aruni. Jonathan Pellegrin is going to be our next guest. Hello. And I believe there's Jonathan. How are you, sir? It's James Lowe from iHeartRadio. How are you today? Fine. How are you doing? Pretty good, actually. Sorry about calling you a little late. We had a guest who How ran are you doing, over. James? But uh, I'm I'm excellent now that I've got you on the phone. How are you, sir? I'm I'm good. Except I'm in Mexico, in in the middle of a deluge of of rain, almost like a. Um, the spinoff of the of the hurricane Yes. Yes. And uh, so I'm all holed up with hurricane <laughs> shutters and just been safe. Well, I'm 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 glad that you're safe. We've got uh, a great guest with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast, and uh, Jonathan has uh, been doing all sorts of different things and is a uh, business expert. And I'm glad we've got him on with us today here in our broadcast. Now, let's talk a little bit about the book, "The Art of Selling the Family Business." Tell me a little bit about this book. Well, the way that it came about is uh, over the years. I was in the publishing business and. Uh, when I sold our company, we had 30 magazines serving a, a number of different industries. And I started to become concerned about uh, about the Internet and electronic uh, dissemination of information. And I thought, this can't be a great thing for, uh, for print publishers. I mean, the, the economics are going to change and, and yep. the world's going to change. Yep. And so I became concerned about the, the potential erosion of value in my company. The other thing I'd seen in the 30 industries in which we published magazines, I saw a lot of companies that had lost their way in that one time they were successful, important, respected companies in their industries and in their local communities. And then they started to go downhill and they didn't really know what to do and some of them didn't even notice that they that they really were going downhill and so i saw a lot of once successful companies going broke and i thought that that was a complete tragedy so i began to think that every family business needed to recognize that that their companies had value and to regularly monitor that value and when they got to the point where they wouldn't experience any euphoria for making it worth more money, uh, that would offset the despair that they would feel if they if it went the other way, they needed to consider selling. And so many families have such a close identification with their companies and they have passion for them. And, and most family companies were started by 
grew out of necessity was the mother of invention. Yep. Yeah. And somebody lost a job or got squeezed out or was treated unfairly. And they took their trade independently and, uh, and sold their time and their talent. And the successful ones built companies and hired people when they grew. But typically the founder kept his head down and continued to do what he always did and didn't recognize when suddenly, I mean, he, his company was worth a lot of money and he needed to, to change to be a steward of wealth rather than a, than a doer, rather than a craftsman doer. Yeah. And, uh, so that's, so I felt, I felt as though I needed to, to cause people to recognize they had something of value, that they needed to be cognizant of that, that it was not a failure to sell a company. Yes. And that they needed to preserve their wealth. And, and, and then I also, in addition to trying to give people a cold shower about being aware of what the value of their business is, I wanted to give them a, a guide that told them what to do and how to do it because it was alien to a lot of family businesses. They think, wow, selling, selling the company. I, I love my company like I love my children and I'd never think of selling my children and, and I don't even know what to do or how to start. So we created a, a, a process or, or we, we didn't create the process. We identified the process that had been involved in successful sales of family companies. And there were four stages. The uh, uh, gathering information stage, the exploratory stage. The next one was the decision-making stage, which overlapped with the exploration. The third one was the execution stage, where they had to go toe-to-toe with Typically, companies that were more experienced than they were in the mergers and acquisitions uh, space. And finally, the post-sale aftershocks and what could they expect after the sale of their family companies. We've got a, so that was it. Uh, we've got a great guest with us today um, here on our big broadcast, Coast to Coast, Boulder to Boulder. Tune in, iTunes, Radio Loyalty, Jonathan Pellegrin with us today. He has got an incredible, incredible book out there. Um, why did you decide to write this book, John? Because of watching the failures. And uh, after I sold my company, I was invited to a graduate business school in Lausanne, Switzerland to spend a year as an executive in residence. And I was in the, the family business uh, department or the family business center. And all of the faculty members were always talking about, oh, if a company doesn't go generation to generation, it's a failure. And I was listening to this for several months, and finally I spoke up and I said, every company... The, the destiny is not to go from generation to generation. There can be all kinds of reasons why a company should, or why a family should get out of the ownership of a particular uh, family company. And I think that losing a fortune is a failure, not being unable to, to operate a multi-generation family business. So it was, it was failure, the people's failure and people's, 
uh, and people not being able to face reality as it was and and sell when they when they could when they had the opportunity and sell when their companies had value and that was a lot that was a lot better alternative than to watch their beloved enterprises vaporize over time. So I, it was vision. It was mission driven. And and when I sold my company, we could set up trusts and 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 we the financial needs of four generations were taken care of. So I, I knew that I never needed to to really make more money. And what opportunities were presented to me to get involved in other businesses and do other things to make money, they weren't as interesting to me as the possibility of working with families to prevent them from losing money. We've got a uh, great guest with us today. He joins us live. Jonathan Pellegrin is with us. And uh, give us give us some thoughts here on the common cultural qualities at the core of a family enterprise and how they can be adapted in other businesses, John. It, it's tricky because the, the main core of family businesses is built around love. And, and the founder who started the company, started it to provide, to make a living for the benefit of not only himself, but especially for his family. And, uh, and so the, the love is a special characteristic that people, that people experience that it's kind of tough to apply to, to corporations to venture capitalists, to private equity investors, to people that are really driven by, by profit, return on assets employed, and return on invested capital. And so right from the start, there's a difference. But if somebody says, yeah, but there must be some things that we can, that we can do in our company that'll kind of steal some of the things from family companies, some of the good things from family companies. So along with love comes trust. And that's being, being honest, being open, being frank. Um, there, there, there's trust, there's loyalty. And, and how do you accomplish those intangible things that are so, uh, so prevalent in family enterprises? And number one is you have to treat your employees like partners, like owners. And I've, I've always suggested to companies that they need to share all of their information, their financial information, from the reception desk to the loading dock. And they say, wait, wait, wait a minute, we can't, we can't share you know, our financial statements. We can't let people know how much money we're making. And I said, well, generally, in more than 90% of the cases, your people are going to be surprised that you're not making as much money as they imagined you were making. So get that out of your mind. But think of the analogy with, with sports. And think about players on a baseball team. And, and they hear the crowd cheer, they hear the crowd boo, but they are not allowed to look at the scoreboard. Or basketball players, they can't look at the scoreboard. 
Well, you're not going to build a high-performance company with high-performance people if, if you vest your cards and, and don't let them in. Don't let them in on the information. Don't, don't have them participate in knowing when the company is doing well and when the company is doing poorly. And, and I'll remember when I, I remember shortly after I became president when I decided I'm going to share every single number with everybody in, the, in our employment. We already had a profit sharing program. Our money managers would come twice a year and give a report on their performance to all of our employees. And I thought, this is crazy. If we don't share our performance with our employees, I mean, what, what are we hiding? So I started doing that. My father said, oh, my God, you're sharing your information with the employees? And I said, I sure am. And boy, <laughs> is it motivational for them. And they know what the score is and at any given time. And they pull together to increase revenue and reduce costs because that translates into larger contributions in our profit-sharing plan. And when we sold the company, we had a number of employees, and we, we only had a couple hundred people, but we had a, a number of employees who were billionaires when they left with their, with their profit-sharing plans. And, and you can still, you can't do it alone with money. You can't make yes. people, uh, you know, be motivated, be loyal, be trustworthy, be ambitious, be passionate, and so forth by taking them in the green room and beating them with your wallet. It's, it's, they won't do it just for money. Yes. It's a combination of factors, but certainly uh, being transparent on the performance of the company where you can really talk about the issues. And one of the most remarkable things that, I've ever, that I ever experienced was after we had opened everything up and we went through a period of, uh, of declining earnings because of the changes in the in, in industry that we were serving, uh, everybody pulled together to say, all right, now what do we do? Do we run this element of our company, this division, as a cash cow and take as much out of it until it's, until it's no longer there? Do we invest to protect it? Do we invest to grow it? And then once we made our decision about what to do with it, people really pulled together to say, we've got to do things differently than we did, and we've got to be more efficient. We've so, got that's a. Uh, think about that. Well, that's that's good. We've got Jonathan Pellegrin with us today. He joins us live 29 minutes after the hour. Thanks for joining us here. On iHeartRadio and AMFM247.com, a complete list of stations are available on our website, JiggyJagwire.com. And uh, tell us here, first of all, about a conventional model of the evolution of the family-owned companies. Which ones succeed and which ones fail, Jonathan? Well, it's, it's, not, it's not like you can say which ones or what fails and what succeeds. The evolution of the family business begins with a startup. And, and it's generally, it's a, it's a, you know, now I'm not talking about uh, Silicon Valley where people raise hundreds of billions of dollars to launch a business and they have no revenue and, you know, no profit. But I'm talking about conventional 
all businesses that are bootstrapped to get started, where people work hard to get revenue and then and then produce what they're selling uh, at a lower cost than the amount of revenue that they're that they're getting. So, and that's the startup phase. And if they're successful, the business begins to grow and begins to grow and begins to grow, and they add employees and so forth. And then they they begin to move into a, a phase that's called the uh, uh, the stabilization or formulization, where they're creating systems to to really run a business with more and more people. And then the third stage of the evolution of a business is is maturity. And typically during the mature phase, um, the, the companies will generate enormous amounts of cash flow that families or business owners can be tricked because they're making so much money, they're not really looking as intensely at their business in terms of what they have to do in case something goes wrong. And so they're lulled into a false sense of security. So businesses can get in a lot of trouble when they're at the mature phase, but it's a really good time to sell a business because there's a track record of earnings, there's a solid customer base, and everything's good. And if the owners know that, gee, around the corner, a custard pie is heading for my face, something's going to happen that's going to change the marketplace, change yes. in the technology that I'm going to have to modify what it is that I'm doing. We've got a uh, okay, great, but, great guest with us today. Jonathan, go, go ahead and continue there, my friend. Go ahead. Okay, the development of a, uh, um, of a family starts out as a, uh, or uh, the ownership of the business starts out with a, uh, with the controlling owner, which is typically the, the, the founder. And then it, the founder might begin to decide that he, he wants to pass this company along. It's substantial enough, and he wants his children to participate. And often the founder, the controlling owner, makes a horrible mistake and passes the ownership of the company along to the next generation in equal amounts. So if there are three people, they each get one-third of the stock. And then another huge mistake that the controlling owner makes is, I, I really want them to run it as a, as a committee because, you know, you really can't have one sibling be the boss of the other siblings. That's doomsday when that decision is made. Somebody's got to be in charge. So... When companies go from the controlling ownership stage to the sibling partnership stage, the siblings need to get together and decide who they want to run the company. Typically, the controlling owner, the father, picks traditionally it was the oldest son is going to be the one that runs the company. The only training that the oldest son has ever had was working for the father. And... And his brothers and sisters, his, his siblings, don't want to be treated uh, by their older brother or older sister like their dad treated them. I mean, they, they won't accept it. 
So to have a CEO in the sibling partnership stage imposed on them doesn't work. It's a high percentage risk that that it don't that it won't work. But if they vote on the on the next CEO, they as partners own control of the company, and the CEO that they've selected has to become a servant leader. And that treats his brothers and sisters with arrogance and disdain, not keep information from them. But suddenly the person is, is, the, is the CEO of a, of a multi-shareholder company. And, and it allows the other siblings who are either involved in the company or not involved in the company, from a working there standpoint, just from ownership, to have an involvement to have an involvement in the family legacy and to, and to pick the best person, the most qualified person to run the business. And often that might be the, the youngest sister is going to make the best CEO. And there's a, a, a great school called the uh, Center for Creative Leadership in Greensboro, uh, North Carolina. And, and I always recommend that, uh, with the candidates to become the leaders of a, of a family company or a multi-shareholder company should go through that program. Um, okay, then in terms of the family yes. uh, uh, the, yes. the, the family development, you start out with a very young business family. And, you know, they don't know anything, they don't do anything, but typically... The, the founder takes his kids at an early age to the company and gives them medial tasks to do sweeping or helping with the gardening or whatever, but just to get a, get a taste of it. And then as the kids get older and they're approaching high school, they often get a real job and doing something for which they're getting paid. And then they go away to school, so they spend summers kind of working with the business. They go away to school. And I make a decision. Do I want to go back and join the family company? Will my dad let me come back and join the family company? What are my opportunities at the family company? Or should I go someplace else to get, uh, to get experience? And, uh, and then they're in a phase called working together. And they work together until the senior generation member is ready to pass the baton. Now, this is a critical thing because often the founder who, who runs his business on, I'm just going to say it, who runs his business more than his kids, does not want to leave. I mean, he's, and as he gets older and older, it's like he's got a death grip on the business and he doesn't want to let, let go of it. And that is probably the biggest impediment to successfully passing companies from generation to generation, more so than no capable successors. Often they're tremendously capable successors, but the father won't won't let go and won't allow the younger generation to, to recast the company in their image and make it more contemporary and more competitive and so forth. We've got okay. a uh, great guest with us today. Jonathan Pellegrin joins us here in our broadcast. 
Coast to coast, border to border on TuneIn, iTunes, Radio Loyalty, Stitcher, and the brand new Jiggy Jaguar app available in the App Store, JiggyJaguar.us. And a brand new book, The Art of Selling the Family Business, is now available. And um, now, John, one thing I do want to get your thoughts on, and, and, and I have known several people who have been involved in family businesses, uh, all sorts of aspects and uh, possibilities and everything from family businesses. One of the things that I always um, run into is the emotional attachment by family business owners and the extraordinary passion for their company. Um, there's a lot of times folks just don't want to let this go. They, uh, you know, they have offers and they just don't want to sell various things. Break that down for me and explain that part of it to the audience here. Well, it's what, it's what they've always done from the day that they that they started their, their companies. They did what the company does. I mean, that, that's in the business brought of the craft. There's no reason that if a founder has been extraordinarily successful making and selling shoes, you know, manufacturing equipment, whatever it is, the, the, the founder has always taken pride in the business, has, you know, dealt with adversity, has caused the company to, to succeed and, and to flourish. And then all of a sudden, you know, every day, and maybe for 40 years or even 50 years, They've gone to the office, they've gone out in the plant, they've done whatever they have done as part of operating the business, and somebody comes along and wants to take, take it away from them. It's very, very, very real. And one of the things I try, try to do in the book, and I try to do when I'm working with families, is, is really get at what the what the senior generation wants. They started the company. They typically own the controlling interest of it. They can do what they want. They literally can do what they want if they haven't given away the majority ownership shares. Then the senior generation has to be talked to, frankly, about, okay, your your time is over. <laughs> it's, it's time to pass it along if you want to have a legacy and uh, if, if you want to keep the family or the business in the family, sell it to your children, have your children go to banks and raise debt, maybe bringing in a minority partner so that you're cashed out and your retirement is taken care of. One of the problems is that when I, when a, a senior is leaving the company, if, all of their net worth is is left in the company, and the kids have the opportunity to, in, the, in essence, play with the father's marbles. And there's a huge risk of them losing them. Um, that's not going to augur well for the uh, uh, for the senior generation member to leave the company. So the senior member has to be monetized, and he has to be shown how he can be monetized and has to be guided as to how he can pursue his other interests and have, and have a normal retirement like friends of his who work for other co companies. But a strong element is that they have to 
be able to get their money out of it, or at least enough money to provide for a very good retirement. We've got a... Yes, definitely, definitely. We've got Jonathan Pellegrin with us today. He joins us live here in the broadcast. Now, um, Jonathan, tell us why the family-owned businesses are more likely to be involved in the community and how the ben- how this benefits their workplace culture. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I've found is that family businesses generally perform well than companies that are owned by that are not owned by families, that are owned by corporations, investors, and so forth. But that said, um, family companies are built with passion. And part of the passion extends into the communities in which they live. And they want, they want to live in good communities. They want to contribute and help to develop sports centers and parks and performing arts centers and all of those kinds of things. And they have their name on the plaques because by God, that's the community was good to them. They're largely their employees came from that particular community. They're a pillar of strength in the community. And, and that's one public responsibility that family, the, family business owners take very seriously. So it's, it's not a myth. I mean, they're far, they're far more generous. And when a company is sold or an investor, you know, a, a public company or whatever opens up a division of a, in a community, they'll, they'll do token contributions in support, but they won't donate a, a lot of money because they don't care. I mean, what they care about is their bottom line. And, and that's how they're compensated. That's how they look at the business. Uh, the executives are just doing a temporary stop in that community. It's not like a lifelong place where, where they're going to live. So there's a very different, a very different mindset. Now, one of the things that, that, we did. I happened at the end of my career not to live in the community uh, where our company was located. But we, we had a foundation and we regularly contributed to the foundation. And our employees who lived in the community had 100% control of the foundation. So they could contribute to, and it was great because it was something that they were involved in, they got the credit, they had their pictures in the paper, all of those kinds of things, and they picked things that, that by and large, there was more demand for them in the community than, uh, you know, than we just gave money for things that we thought were important to us. And I recommend that. I, I, I recommend in the local communities to uh, to get the employees involved in the philanthropy. It is a very, very good topic today. We've got Jonathan Pellegrin joins us today. The brand new book, The Art of Selling the Family Business. He is with us today here on iHeartRadio, AMFM, 247.com. Uh, Jonathan, I appreciate you making time for us today. Before we let you go, how do we get the book? How do we uh, uh, find you online? All that information. Okay, the book is available on, uh, on Amazon. It's called The Art of Selling a Family Business. 
Um, I have a website that gives some background about about me and how I got involved in, in this and, and also some uh, some case studies of families that uh, that didn't do well and wish that they had sold it when it was when it was doing well. And so you can get all of that at Jonathan J O N A T H A N Pellegrin P E L L E G R I N dot com. That's like Pellegrino water, but with no O in the end of it. Pellegrin. Fantastic. JonathanPellegrin.com. Well, Jonathan, have yourself a wonderful day. We'll talk soon. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. I enjoyed the visit. Appreciate Bye. it. That is Jonathan Pellegrin. We're going to take a brief time out. When we come back, we've got more coming up. Here on the world-famous Cheeky Jaguar radio broadcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.